He might actually be the most derivative one of all. I mean, Christ, the same house. Maybe so. But you forgot the first rule of surviving a stab movie. Never answer the- I'm bored. Wait! Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking the code word is quesadilla or unicorn. We're talking the woman in white and the bride in black. And we're talking Lynn Shay's voice in Lindsay Syme's body. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking you are a miserable, ungrateful bitch. I mean, truth. Yes. <laughs> Everyone, we are discussing James Wan's Insidious Chapter 2 um, in well, a little early of its 10-year anniversary by months, which, by the way, oof, mm. uh, but also in advance of the release of Part 5, Insidious the Red Door. Indeed, yeah. And folks, if you have not seen the original Insidious in a while, this is quite literally a direct sequel, so we do encourage checking it out. Or you could watch it with us, because, of course, we covered Insidious on Patreon. I was going to ask, did we do a commentary or was it an episode? It is a commentary. Okay, cool. That was like early pandemic days. And we were like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Let's find something to watch. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, well, I, I have a lot to say about this movie. Um, and mm -hmm. I'm sure we do. And our guests. So why don't we bring in our guests, Joe? Fantastic. Everyone, you know them as the titular brothers in Shudder's most watched series, The Boulay Brothers Dracula. They are the hosts of the horror podcast, Creatures of the Night. They were members of 2022's Out 100, a list celebrating the world's most influential LGBTQ plus individuals. And they have spent most of 2023 on their world tour. So we are very happy that they were able to stop by and chat with us. Please welcome the Boulay Brothers themselves, Drac Morta and Swanthula Boulay. Hello, Hello, horror queers. <laughs> yes, thank you for having us. What an intro, too. That was fabulous. I loved it. Happy to help. Also, congratulations on being considered for Emmy noms. Oh, thank oh, you. Thank you. Thank you. Hard at work. Always and forever. <laughs> it's all in the day's work, really. I will say, I, 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 I don't know that I ever imagined that that would happen. So I'm, I'm humbled by it, and I'm excited. And also, give us the fucking award. Yes. <laughs> yes, that part too. <laughs> <laughs> y'all are busy little bees, though. I mean, honestly, I feel like y'all have been all over the place this year. And it's only, well, only June. I guess the year's halfway over. <laughs> 50%. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I will say, I mean, we did create a our first TV special and aired it this year. Mm -hmm. Did that real quick before going on our U.S. and Australian tour. And now we're deep into the next project. So I feel very accomplished this year <laughs> and well, i just don't know why yeah. you two aren't yes. busier that's what yeah, that's true <laughs> i know and there's and yes there are, and there are a few other like kettles on the stove you know boiling in the background too and the people are like you are the busiest craziest people i've ever worked with i don't know how y'all yeah. sleep or do do you sleep actually you are creatures of the night we do sleep upside down <laughs> on the ceiling for one or two hours a night. there you go <laughs> nice there is one other drag queen that works, I would say, as neurotically as us, and that's Trixie Mattel. That's one thing that we have in common. Probably the only thing. <laughs> Trace, what was the line from Insidious 2? Like, you ungrateful bitch or something. That's, You're a that's... miserable, ungrateful bitch. Trixie Mattel, that's for you. You miserable, ungrateful bitch. <laughs> no, kidding. kidding. I love her. I love Trixie. Of course I do. Right. And also, Trixie, if you are listening, you're welcome to visit and have your own rejoinder. 
<laughs> you heard it here first. Um, uh, but welcome to Insidious Chapter Two. So I take it yeah. y'all have seen the first entry in this franchise. Yes. Yes. yes and we we've seen this one too. I've just been a long time, and I, I forgot how much I love this movie, and I'm pretty sure I liked it uh, better than the first one back in the day. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, wait, do, words. do you still like it better than the first one? I think I might actually. Ah! Yeah, I, is that I just a shocker because think... I really enjoyed it too. This was a rewatch for me. I haven't seen it in years, and I'm like, this is good. It's like, so I really can't be. Yeah. I mean, I guess I like it in a like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, a, like in a prom night two kind of way, you know? Oh, <laughs> okay. I, I appreciate the comparison, honestly, to prom night two. I think my issue is, and I think th- this shares a lot of DNA with that first film, obviously. But the first film has a lot of ridiculous elements that I still feel like are very grounded, and it treats very seriously. Mm-hmm. Which does make that first movie, I think, one of the scariest movies of the decade of the 2010s. Mm-hmm. This one doesn't feel very grounded. <laughs> and Wait, it is are, much sillier. Are you trying to tell me there's something silly about spooky Yahtzee? Or like- <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, look, this part, the, 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 Danielle Basuti, who's playing the woman in white, like she's getting her best Joan Crawford mommy dearest act on in this movie. Oh, and 100%. It's, yes. it's really fun to watch. It's just, again, when you, when you pair it with that first movie, I'm just like, this doesn't. This doesn't line up for me. You're right. It's not scary like that. And and Swan was tormenting me the whole time. I'd be like, look, it's you. It's you. <laughs> Every time she would come on the screen. She was giving Jack more energy too. Let's just be honest. I mean, I feel like that's a compliment because she looks very well done up. I think so. I was like, oh my God, she's in full drag. Like, I was yeah. like, I forgot. Yeah, and that's what I mean by kind of liking this movie in that way. I appreciate it for those moments. But yeah, you're right. I mean, obviously the first one is definitely scarier and this one is much campier, but mm-hmm. uh, I have an appreciation for those things. <laughs> kind of like Pearl. I don't know. It's giving me like camp okay. drag. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? If this was the first entry in the franchise, I would have no issue with any of these things. Mm-hmm. And to be clear, I still like this movie. It's just like, I love love that the first one's a five-star movie for me yeah yeah i think my issue with the film is that it does suffer by comparison just because it is immediately following it so it almost begs to be watched right after you watch the first film Mm. and i think it's it's doing a lot of similar things which is not a bad thing if you like the first film but if you're looking for this movie to take the franchise in a new direction it sometimes feels like it's kind of just aping a lot of the first film Mm. but i will give it credit for acknowledging hey we've got this badass cast of ladies that we kind of underutilized in the first film so it's like let's give barbara hershey more to do let's give rose byrne more to do and oops yeah we killed off lynn shea and we made a mistake but we still found a way to bring her back right that's what i thought too which we love yeah yeah we'd love to see i mean i remember even then i was like I can't believe they got rid of that Elise character because right. she was so, you know, kind of pivotal to the whole thing. Like what the gravitational pull was there. Yeah, exactly. So it was the clever, like acrobatics of the script writing. Although I think mm-hmm. I'm a little too creative here and there. I was like, wait, now what? Like several times. So I was like, pause. We had to talk it through. We had to like bring it back and like talk it through with each other. I'm, now wait. Okay. Mom is, you know, whatever. It, it, you yeah. know, it's, it's I almost feel like that was the thing, right? They didn't know that like Lynn Shay's character would be. You oh, know, no. I don't want to say like they thought it was expendable and then like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like we have kind of like a star character on our hands. Right. How can we lean into this? Which then kind of automatically makes it a little campy, I guess. Well, mm-hmm. but that's the thing is like Lynn Shea does an interview on, the, on one of the Blu-rays for this where she's like, yeah, James came to me and he was like, oh, I'm really like having second thoughts about like killing you off in the first movie because I'd love to bring you back. And he's like, wait, 
this is a ghost movie. I can do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> yeah. The rules are ours to make. We actually interviewed Lynn and she was so, I think she was like the, my favorite interview we've ever done. Mm. Oh God. She just seems like such an absolute joy. Like there's certain people who work in horror where you want nothing but good things for them because, you know, they're a staple of the genre. They've been working forever. Lynn Shea is absolutely one of those people. And it's, how nice to hear that she's actually delightful. Oh, she is. So sweet. And she was in all those crazy, like, comedy movies before this, you know? Yes. like it's Yeah, and she talked about that. She's, I was like, you know, have you always been interested in horror? And she's like, not really. Like, I did all these, like, zany <laughs> comedy movies and silly things, and then it just clicked, you know? Well, but that's what's really funny. Though. I, we'll talk about this with this dubbing of that poor actress in the first scene, but oh, it's boy. like, like, you watch Nightmare on Elm Street, the original, she's in that as, as the teacher, <laughs> and her <laughs> voice sounds exactly the same. But yeah, I guess I grew up watching her in Elm Street, and then like she was in the first two Critters movies, but then I don't know what she did until there's something about Mary. Yeah, she, there was a couple of like comedy things she did. Yeah, she was telling us it was like a, a struggle, and her dad was a producer and would try to get her in things, and it was really interesting story. So I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it, there's I mean, look, there's many good things that have come out of this franchise, but one of the best is that yeah, we have like this franchise that is led by this. Oh God, what's the right word? It's not. It's not elderly. She's not elderly. Um, <laughs> well, how old is she? We could say she's like a septuagenarian or an octogenarian. I think or... so. No, I think septuagenarian. Let, let, Matriarchal. Right? Yeah, there, there we go. go. There you that's, go. I that's like a that. much more, <laughs> much more appropriate, sensitive term. Thank you. <laughs> well, okay, okay. So, so let's talk about how this kind of came to be because what I find interesting about this franchise is that this, along with Paranormal Activity, this kind of helped launch Blumhouse as the horror juggernaut it is today. So let's travel back in time to 2011, shall we? I was going to say. I want some sound So Blumhouse has done plenty of non-horror stuff. But at the time, you know, their biggest claim to fame was Paranormal Activity, which uh, had opened wide in 2009. We got a sequel a year later in 2010. But they were on the hunt for another franchise. And that's when Insidious came along. And James Wan is what I would also call um, maybe in a creative rut around this time. Though he had spent many of the years leading up to Insidious uh, executive producing Saws 4, 5, and 6, his last directorial efforts prior to Insidious in 2011 were 2007's one-two punch of Dead Silence and Death Sentence, both of which were critical failures and commercial flops. What was the second one? Death Sentence. This is the one that's <laughs> like, um, it's Kevin Bacon in Death Wish. Like, that, that is what this right. movie is. Yeah, it, the the joke just just presented itself right to me. You're like his creative rut with dead silence and death sentence, which are the <laughs> adjectives of how everyone reacted to these two projects. All of the reviews at the time were probably like death sentence is dead on yeah. arrival. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my god, what was the next one? Flop three. Nevertheless, though, so the first Insidious was a big financial success for Blumhouse, uh, made for $1 million. Ridiculous. I, right? It had a modest third place opening of $13 million and then legged it out to a $54 million domestic gross and 46 international for a worldwide total of $100 million. 
God, can you imagine Jason Blum? He was probably just like throwing money Scrooge McDuck style in a bathroom somewhere being like, yes, money. <laughs> well, I happened to catch the, the the breakdown of like the budget and the box office success of the second one, too. And I think the yeah. margin is even more impressive. And I was like, yes, money. Mm-hmm. Well, so I was so I, I also did that. And, you know, I, I in my mind, I have this image in my head of like, OK, three was like kind of successful, but not as successful as two. And then four was a big flop. Um the fourth one made like a hundred million dollars overseas. <laughs> really? Is yes, that the one with the key fingers? Yeah, the key yes. finger. I think I just decided to forget about that one. Oh, but it is directed by Ro- by Adam Robitel, so. But oh. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> crickets, crickets. Okay, okay. Moving on. Dead silence, death sentence too. Okay. <laughs> flop sweat yes admittedly i have not seen three and four since theaters um i do remember four being the weakest one but uh listeners please go listen to our patreon episode where we discuss the entire franchise which will be coming out at some point this month yeah it was earlier this week Uh, earlier this week there you go (laughs) (laughs) so okay so with this you know super successful first film you know a sequel was inevitable so jason blum insisted on the return of james wan and lee winnell the screenwriter um and a treatment of the script did not arrive until uh, nearly a year later. So in February of 2012, they announced that James Wan and Lee Winnell are in talks for the sequel. Um, interestingly enough, this is right around the time Wan was beginning pre-production on another little horror film that would become a major franchise, The Conjuring. Never heard of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well... <laughs> I actually have a sneaking suspicion that he was much more focused on The Conjuring than he was on this film, which is maybe why some of these films' weaker elements don't work as well for me, but we can discuss. That film was shot from September to November of 2012, and then Insidious Chapter 2 filming picks up uh, just two months later in January of 2013. Oh my god. Watching this, like, he, the the word Conjuring is used in the script somewhere, and, like, the Mm -hmm. hairs on the back of my neck went up, and and they (laughs) used... And they use the word malignant twice, which I think is just like casting into the future. Yeah. And then we see the red door in the basement. So it's just kind of like, uh, uh, like, you know, there's like smoke coming out of my ears from all of these references (laughs) of like things to come. Are y'all fans of the uh, the Conjuring franchise? Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy them. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I can't say all of them, but I remember. I mean, that's fair. There's so many of them at this point that you can safely say, yeah, I enjoy them and just not all of them because you could still be covering at least half of the franchise. Yeah. Do the spinoff films have, they don't have that annoying moniker that's like a Conjuring Universe film, does it? Do they? I don't think so. I think they do. Oh, do they? I don't at least a couple of them do. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm thinking of like you know, like like uh, Insurgent, the Divergent Saga. Oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> mm. I don't know. I feel like in this time period, it launched like you know, there weren't like a lot of movies like this out, and then this became successful, and then there was a bunch suddenly, you know, like very kind of I don't remember them, but there were a lot of like impostery ones, and they did start to get a little confused up to me. Right. I mean, that's what happens, right? Horror is always cyclical when it's with its popular subgenres. Yeah. If it makes a shit ton of money, you're basically sending a message. This is what audiences want. And yeah. everybody jumps on that bandwagon. Yeah. yeah. When you said that, too, like when you made reference to like all of the conjurings, I'm like, well, how many were there? So I'm, <laughs> I'm Googling. There's seven, which is mm-hmm. unbelievable to me because I think I, I've probably maybe seen like maybe three, you know, but all the things that spin off too, like the nun and La Llorona and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. there's there's more, too. Oh, and we're getting the nun, too, this year. None mm-hmm. too. None too. But it's Aquila Cooper, so we're excited. Tentatively excited. We had Bonnie on like uh, on our show 
a lot. Yeah, yeah we were like, times. hey, yeah. and I it was like, oh, you're doing the Nun too. I thought she had already filmed it. We're like, okay, Bonnie Aaron's from the, you know, she's gonna be on the Nun too. I assumed it was gonna come out, and she's mm-hmm. like, I haven't filmed the fucking thing yet. I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly how she talks. <laughs> I, mean, I love I imagine her. her work is probably like, we're going to fly you over to like Romania or Budapest yep. or something. You'll be there for five days. You're going to be in full makeup the whole time and then we'll fly you home and it'll come out in six months. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed. It's better than the first one. Um, I know it's iconic character and, and you know, right? and she's so oh, iconic. Yeah. I'm like, come on. How do you mess this up? So I'm hoping it's great. Apparently with snoozy Tysa Farmiga. I mean, what? Who said that? Oh, I, I admit, oh, look, I, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit this. Admittedly, when I saw The Nun in theaters, I drank a lot of wine. And I fell asleep somewhere around the third act. (laughs) So I truthfully cannot have a whole opinion on The Nun as a movie because I haven't, I don't think I've actually seen the entire thing. But that is truly blasphemy. I know. (laughs) Pun intended. I I cannot fall asleep at a movie. In fact, I hate if I even miss like seconds of the opening. Like I am glued. And like Drac, I'd have to say, "Mm, can't say the same thing at all. (laughs) You should go to some of the movies that swan takes me to you'd be a oh, blaming me wait, wait, wait. have either one of you walked out of a movie before yes oh what did we did that not that long ago what which one was it oh okay now that i'm always gonna hate me i don't even want to say it okay <laughs> the first time we you tried to, to watch it. we can cut it out or we can believe oh, it. I'm gonna say, it's oh, the first yeah. time okay horror, the first right. time we tried to watch everything everywhere all at once oh! we had gotten oh, off of an international flight and we're oh, jet lagged okay. and i felt like a crazy person yeah. and as i was watching it, I'm like, is it me or is this me? like? I'm like, this is not the right time to watch this movie. Right. So I yeah. it wasn't out. the movie. It was just not the right time. It yeah. wasn't the right. It was too much. And I was like, oh my god, what? And then the hot dogs. And I was like, I gotta get out of here. Like I feel like I'm on acid. <laughs> you know what though? I so when I went to go see my parents for Chris Thanksgiving last year, I showed that to my whole family. <laughs> and about halfway through this two and a half hour movie, my dad looks at me and goes, "Is the next movie gonna be easier to understand?" <laughs> <laughs> Papa Thurman, hang in there. Wait until you get to the dildo stuff. But you yeah. know, the nun, like, okay, a female movie monster. You know, we don't get yeah. a lot of those. So, and, and it stuck. Like, you you saw the nun referenced in pop culture. So you're yeah. like, the branding is great. The imagery is great. Just the movie just needed to be great, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I, I hope they can do something with it. Because it would be good. I want Bonnie to, like, blow up, like, Robert England or something, you well, know? Well, and that's what Joe was saying. You know, uh, malignant screenwriter Akila Cooper... I, so Megan's screenwriter too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. the one that's writing the sequel. Um, oh. she, and so oh, that gives us more hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. We basically need her brand of madness to like just amp up everything. But yeah. also it leads to these tantalizing possibilities where like, well, James Wan is invested in all of these things too, right? So can we somehow get franchise crossover where it's like the nun versus Megan or something, oh, some okay. kind of wildness oh. there? So it, I, I don't... Mm. You can tell me if this is okay to say. So so in advance of The Curse of La Llorona, so it had its world premiere at the South by Southwest Film Festival, and James Wan appeared. I, I got to t- t- talk to him for a little bit as he's making his rounds at this cocktail party. And he's talking about, yeah, you know, I like to, you know, do these spinoffs and shepherd, uh, like, new, like, fledgling directors into, like, you know, horror and, like, get them in the industry. Mm. Sometimes it works, and um, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> And sometimes it nuns. Wait, what? Who said that? I feel like he was talking about Annabelle and the nun. So yes, oh, Annabelle. Oof. I don't uh, know. I think like a, like a uh, you know I don't know if that's wrong to say, but I feel like let, like letting a queer 
person mm. do the nun might be you know what right. i mean mm-hmm. i don't right. know like it needs some drama it needs some like diva do energy right camp? yeah well, and you know what if they can get a like bombastic performance out of tessa farmiga i am fine with that because i have yet to see that girl raise an eyebrow let's see You're so mean to her i know i'm so <laughs> i will stop okay. anyway so <laughs> insidious chapter two is the first time juan directed a sequel to one of his films and this is because he he's never outright said anything like negative about the saw sequels probably because he's produced all of them but he it's Money. like well he's kind of like yeah I, I didn't want it to get out of my control that early on so he was drawn right. back to the franchise so we could help steer the direction it was going to take the intent however was to have the tone of the sequel be more grounded than the first film oh <laughs> i don't think that happened. Um, <laughs> but Juan cites his work on filming The Conjuring as an influence as to how he and Winnell approached the production of the sequel. Um, he also wanted to change the subgenre, so where the first movie plays like a classic haunted house film where it's subverted because it's, of course, not the house that's haunted, this one was going to play more like a domestic thriller that just turned into a supernatural thriller. Uh, you can kind of see it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the DNA is in there, but I think it gets lost in the sauce because there's some Absolutely. crazy stuff happening. Yeah, yeah. I, I I would never call this film grounded. <laughs> Do you think it meant grounded by like trying to tie it up and make it like in his head or you know make it make sense and explain things? You know, a lot of times in horror movies they just leave it all to your imagination. Maybe that's mm-hmm, what right. he meant by grounded. It's like I'm going to actually tell you what's going on and connect all these pieces, and it's going to lead back to the first movie. And like you, I don't know, maybe that's what he meant. By well, they were saying like haunted house and, uh, to the first one would be this one would be like a domestic thriller kind of scenario, which mm-hmm. we, we can get some of that home invasion vibe and like you know maybe there's an enemy in your spouse kind of thing. But mm-hmm. it, it's it's just too back and forth between like the past and you know the, the further and the dream world. Yeah, if it was centered around Rose Burns character, I think we could safely say it because you you're 100 right. It would be like, oh, I can't trust my husband. He's acting weird, which mm-hmm. is very sort of like 90s domestic you know oh is my husband having an affair or is he possessed by the devil who can say or surprise he's possessed by a drag queen <laughs> <laughs> and I, I will say my so my favorite some of my favorite parts of this movie is like i mean honestly it's the it's when patrick wilson confronts carl with the dice and the knife behind his back and you just have that really creepy image of patrick wilson just smiling mm-hmm. i think that's all fantastic and i wish that that would have populated more of this film instead of the scooby-doo investigation we have at this hospital i agree we were talking about that earlier today yeah i i agree we we thought i was like why i was like i don't want to like put all this realism on movies but i'm like yeah why would they be there i'm like that's not that's not why they're they're not here to solve a, a puzzle like they're like <laughs> she's like my kid's possessed my family's you know that's what i care about like why are you dragging me on this like caper you know and Lorraine has just gone through all of this shit in the first film, like literally the day before. <laughs> and she's just off with Carl, some guy she hasn't seen in what, 15 years. That's true. <laughs> well, that's, I was going to challenge you, Joe. And you were like, oh yeah, you have all these women that are given more to do. And I was like, well, Barbara Hershey has more to do in this movie, but Rose mm-hmm. Byrne has little more to do than stare at this uh, kitty walker and um, faint. It's very <laughs> scary when it flies up into the air, but it, it's more, I feel like the first film forgets that she's even a character so that we we can just focus on Patrick Wilson and this Dalton kid. Whereas here, at least she's sprinkled throughout the entire film. 
gets attacked here and there, choked, punched. Yeah, you know. running up the stairs, <laughs> looking after the baby, running down the stairs, having a stroller thrown at her. Very domestic things. <laughs> the teapot, and I was like, I oh. laughed because I was like, oh. this is this is actually because so this is how a fight would go down if someone was like really going at it in the kitchen. Like someone would have to grab the teapot and clock someone else with that. I was there for it. That she is not dead from that kettle throw. I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> It's basically Mr. and Mrs. Smith, though, right? Like, let's just throw household items at each other until one of us dies. I don't know why you get hit with random things in the movies and then you crawl. I'm like, look, you either be knocked out or you wouldn't. I don't (laughs) really think you'd be, you didn't hurt your leg. Like, get up, you know? Uh, well, okay, so they start shooting this film in January of 2013. Filming lasts for 25 days, and we have a slightly larger budget of $5 million, so five times that of the first film. Ooh, broke the bank. Yeah. Originally scheduled for a September 20th release date, uh, they moved it up a week to hit that Friday the 13th date, and mm. uh, yeah, this was expected to open to max $35 million on its opening weekend. It earned $20 million alone that Friday, making it the Ooh. biggest opening day in September box office history at the time. Uh, it went on to be the number one film its opening weekend, taking in $41 million. <laughs> so a little wow. front-loaded on the Friday. Eight times its budget. Like, nice. That's where this Blumhouse model started clicking, I think. But yeah, it went on to gross $84 million domestically and $78 million internationally for a worldwide gross of $162 million dollars. And yeah, as I said earlier, it seems like the the international numbers for the sequels are higher than the domestic mm-hmm. grosses. And so I don't, I don't, I don't know. Does horror do really well internationally? Because I feel like I don't see a lot of numbers for horror films internationally. But maybe I'm wrong in that respect. I was, I thought the same thing. I don't, I don't remember hearing that. I definitely heard about you heard about other movies and how much it factors into the overall right. success. But I, I don't remember hearing that a lot about horror. It it is definitely unusual. I would say this may have done particularly well because it's not especially American. Like it kind of translates a little mm. bit better to other countries because it's not specifically saying like, oh, it's set in New York or it's set in L.A. or something like that. So mm. I wonder if they were just able to market it as like, hey, here's a North American J-horror paranormal movie. <laughs> Maybe so, yeah. Uh, well, this movie did not get as well of a reception as the first film. Um, we're looking at a 38% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 4.8 out of 10. Uh, it's got a 40 out of 100 on Metacritic, and Letterbox users have given it a 5.8 out of 10. General consensus with these films is based on reviews. First one's the best, then three, then two, then four. Okay. It is wild to me, too, that this film did as well as it did, and they didn't lock down burn and wilson immediately to do another sequel like it's weird that we waited this long to get a proper sequel to this film mm, but i think this is what drac is saying though right because lynn shea became kind of the de facto star of this franchise true i also think at this time like rose burn and patrick wilson were really blowing up so i don't mm-hmm. i don't know if they would have been all that interested in a, a sequel to this especially considering this does kind of put a button on the the lambert family well, that is fair mm-hmm but um, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's all I got. So let's okay. start with this 10 minute prologue. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> so we open at Lambert House in 1987 as young Elise, who is indeed voiced by Lynn Shay, but she is portrayed by actress Lindsay Syme, as well as young Carl, who is played by Hank Harris, are interviewing young Josh. Folks are going to hear young, old, further, possess. Like, I'm trying to give you monikers so that you have an understanding of who all of these people are at various time periods. But yes, young Josh is played by Garrett Ryan. 
And Elise ends up playing this kind of game of hot and cold to determine the malignant spirit Mm -hmm. who wants to possess him. And this is all overseen by his mother, Lorraine, who in this timeline is played by Jocelyn Donahue, who we fucking love. Love her. Okay, I'm sorry. We have gone... 30 seconds and we have not mentioned the the dub on this poor actress <laughs> playing Elise. I mean I mentioned it you just didn't I, react I, I'm reacting I, I'm sorry what do y'all think of this because I, I think that th- this dub the issue is and again that's why I went back and I watched Nightmare on Elm Street at least her scenes so like, does her voice sound the same it does mm-hmm. the problem is her voice even though this woman does look like what you would think a young Lin Shay would look like <laughs> yeah it's not bad it does not match her at all <laughs> it doesn't but I don't know I liked it because I felt like again like I appreciate that kind of weird camp and I just mm-hmm. like that she it's so distinct, you know, that it, you, you immediately knew who it was. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like it's a weird like voice drag. <laughs> kind of funny (laughs) Um, but also it it had me zeroed in on the lips like yes the the rest of the room disappeared even the edges of the screen kind of went black in my brain because all i saw were the lips and lynn shay's voice so what you're saying is she would have won the lip sync i was gonna say that's a real lip sync shante no i can't say it but i I, well and that's the thing i i think i think the the it, it's not a bad dub in the sense of, mm-hmm. yeah, it all lines up very well. And I actually think that this, uh, Lindsay Symes, I'm sorry, Joe. Yes. Lindsay Symes. I think she actually gets a lot of Lin Shay's mannerisms. There's a moment mm-hmm. whenever she's like, you know, looks really stressed and she kind of smiles and she's like, can I meet him? That's mm-hmm. like a dead ringer for the exact same thing she does in that first movie. So it's like, okay, good. Like she clearly studied her movements. And so it's good. It's just, it's just really. It's like Uncanny Valley, the yeah. audio edition. <laughs> She, you're right though. The way she she walked up the stairs and everything too, like she she nailed it. I think mm-hmm. she walked mm-hmm. like an old lady. That's yeah. what we're saying. <laughs> she walks like Lynn Shay, <laughs> <laughs> matriarchal. But um, I do love Jocelyn Donahue in this. I I wish we had. I'm glad we get more of her later in the film. But you know, she's good. Yeah. So basically, the the purpose of this is to gently remind you of what the fuck happened in Insidious Part One, Chapter One. And also to re-acknowledge the fact that Josh used to have the same powers as Dalton, but he was made to forget them by Elise. So then we get the title card and the credits. I will say, and I understand why we're kind of like rushing through the expedition of like, hey, this is what the further is, this is what we're doing, blah, blah, blah. It's really fast in this prologue because, again, the movie assumes that we as the audience have probably already seen this or we're right. catching up people who haven't seen the first one. But when you go back and watch the first one, like, that explanation of the further is, like, a full 10-minute scene. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it just feels a little bit um, rushed in this in this opening for me. Absolutely. It's sequelitis, right? Like, you all know what we're doing. Let's just do it. I am all for movies, too, that just pick right up. You know, the sequels pick right up where the end of the the first one ends because i i'm just i'm into the story like i hate it when a movie will do a sequel or something and it just jumps and it's not related at all like it drives me crazy so i like when it just almost feels like it's a continuation of the story even if it you know the writing and the vibe is different all right so drag how do you feel about silent night deadly night 2 where they basically just <laughs> repurpose <laughs> i hate it spoke it's, her that's name. swan's worst <laughs> that's swan's most hated movie no like i i'm never good with like what's your favorite this or what's your least favorite that and when mm-hmm. I watched Silent Night, Daily Night 2 was something that I came across like later in life. And at the end of the credits, I was like, 
The next time someone asks me what is the worst horror movie I've ever seen, I now have the answer. Okay, wait, but did you not find enjoyment out of how stupid that movie was, though? Oh, I just couldn't. I just Ah, couldn't. No, because I think I was like, look, you have to watch them all. So, like, we kind of watched them all around Christmas. That's what happened. Yeah. (laughs) Watch that first one. I'm invested. Let's just throw in the second one. Let's make it a double bill. What the fuck is this? Yeah, exactly. exactly. This is not as bad as an egregious of an example is that but then what do you think about then like the like friday the 13th part two and three where we basically mm. open with a whole five the, the last five minutes of the previous movie well i was okay with it but i was mad because i was like oh okay she's gonna live and be like the new the final girl this year. i'm like she's dead what the fuck i'm like <laughs> <laughs> it's mean i kind of like the meanness but also it's like oh oh it's okay i bet it was back when it was like edgy to do you know what i mean it was like right. the, no one's ever done this before so let's do it and it'll mm. be edgy we'll kill off our main character you didn't expect that you know i don't know mm-hmm. maybe it was like uh, that. yeah but could you I imagine think it's also important to acknowledge that movies were sometimes doing this because they didn't have the original out on VHS, right? They didn't have right. a 45-day oh, yeah. window where they could just stream something. So they were like, oh, we need to remind people what happened in the last movie <laughs> because they may wow. not have seen it. Oh, that's it totally true, yeah. yeah. It wasn't just like streaming right before the one, yeah. Okay, exactly. but see, though, so for Friday the Teeth, it's like, okay, we're going to help the audience because they might not be able to access the original. But for Silent Night, Daily Night Part 2, it's like, no one's ever going to know. Right. <laughs> no one saw the first one, right? They're like, nobody no saw it. Who cares? Oh. <laughs> it was the box that was seared in my mind as a child that made me attracted to that film in the first place. How scary, you know, it, it seemed scary. And the same, there's there's other ones, too. Like, um, the Evil Dead 2 has a great, oh, yes. like, cover art. And, mm-hmm. and, and House, which is like a film I've never seen, but that, like, dismembered hand at the doorbell Mm -hmm. yeah um you know just a couple of that just kind of stick out so many good movie posters (laughs) see and see i mean i I have all those too from like you know the the days of yore with like blockbuster and stuff but for me it's always this really shitty ass like 90s direct-to-video horror movies like the dentist and the dentist 2 or (laughs) bleeders with those disgusting white humanoid alien things yeah, I, I think we actually did a Patreon mini-sode about like our favorite movie posters, and most of them came from the 80s and 90s. That's, yeah, that's so good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, at the end of the prologue, we jump back to the present time, uh, and basically we're, we're now catching up on the last few minutes of the first film. So we touch base with Renee, who is played by Rose Byrne, and she's being interviewed by Detective Sendall, who is played by Michael Beach, basically about what happened after they discovered Elise's body. And obviously Patrick Wilson, a.k.a. now adult husband Josh, he was acting a little bit shifty. And you're kind of like, okay, so this is where we're going to go. Josh is now 100% possessed, and this is the new movie. I will say I'm glad that this whole cop thing doesn't become an actual subplot in this movie. But also, why is he in here? I don't <laughs> for all For all the viewers who were like, um, excuse me, a woman was murdered in their house. Would no one call the police? <laughs> ridiculous instead it's like oh yeah she's got marks on her neck so she was definitely murdered we're gonna match them to your husband we'll give you a call later to tell you he's been cleared <laughs> goodbye movie <laughs> that is so weird is it yeah it wouldn't w- do you think they would have actually put him in jail 
<laughs> because it makes sense. Probably. Yeah, actually, the, a lot of movies, I feel like a lot of horror movies do that then. They'll be like, oh, well, duh, it was the ghost, so we're all innocent, you know, like, no one goes, <laughs> but you're like, wait, like, no cop, they'd be like, you're crazy, and I'm mm-hmm. arresting you, you know, like, 100%. no one, you could be like, it was the ghost, and everything's figured out now, like, Tangina helped us. They'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> yeah, Tangina just up on the on the stand saying, like, Y'all, it was the ghost. It was not him. <laughs> I'm really glad you mentioned that, though, because honestly, like, both of these movies give me huge poltergeist vibes. Oh, and whenever, like, whenever people talk about, oh, the goofiness of Specs and Tucker, it's, it takes me out of the movie. I was like, yeah, but poltergeist also has some goofy, like, mediums coming in. And oh, yeah. I saw The Entity for the first time last year, the Barbara Hershey ghost rape movie. And it was weird because it's very similar where she's like, hey, I'm getting raped by this ghost. And she invites, you know, paranormal people. People. And they're also really weird and kooky, but it doesn't ruin the vibe of the film. But I have to believe that that was stunt casting on James Wan's part when he cast Barbara Hershey in the first film, because mm, they right. play out very similarly to the way it does in the entity as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so speaking of Barbara Hershey, that is where we are moving into. So we are moving back in with Lorraine, safety in her place. Except, of course, this is where Josh grew up, so we know from the prologue that uh, this house ain't fucking safe. Well, but it would be if he wasn't possessed. Well, this is the thing, right? The whole premise of the film is it doesn't matter where you go. If you're bringing a possessed person with you, you got ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. So Josh ends up bidding goodnight to his son's foster, who is a child actor named Andrew Astor, who has absolutely nothing to do in this movie, just like he didn't in the first film. Well, you know who's really not pulling her weight around is this baby. Oh, Callie? (laughs) Callie. (laughs) Well, she has her stunt coming up in a few scenes. Yeah, she jumped out of the crib. I mean, come on, what are you talking about? (laughs) That baby is magic. (laughs) Uh, and of course, we also have Dalton, who is played by Ty Simpkins, who will reprise his role in the new film with a horrible head of hair. Oh, Jesus, that hair. <laughs> that's got to be a terrible wig, right? No, I think that's just his hair. I think he's like in his early 20s. So it's like the, the thing right now. I don't know. <laughs> Let me get I, I haven't seen it. Is it like super curly in the front and top? It's just really long. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's kind of like a mushroom cut if the mushroom cut was only in the back. Um, what so I'm like seeing that I'm, I'm seeing that a lot now I think it's <laughs> it's on trend Golden Girls hair is great on like teen boys now <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan I mean again like n- not shading y'all do what makes you look pretty I just I, I mean it doesn't me. make him look pretty this actor is pretty and that haircut makes him look unfuckable yeah but I assume he feels pretty with that hair <laughs> otherwise sure. why would he have it <laughs> Because hair and makeup said, this is the look we're giving you. You're a college boy. <laughs> Goodbye. Oh, it's not you that's haunted. It's your hairdo. <laughs> <laughs> I just had this image of him just coming to the set and just like walking onto the screen. No hair or makeup. So <laughs> that's clearly not happening. Wow. One day we'll get you on a set and you can learn. One day. <laughs> okay. So, um, yes, he's tucking in these boys and they are playing with Chekhov's telephone cans and twine. Yeah, um, that's something, like, okay, the, this part of the movie is what I really like about it, because again, it's kind right. of something that's kind of goofy, but I like that they find 
new things. You know, in the first movie, it's the gas mask. You're like, what the fuck is this? And it's really actually really effective. And so this, we get these cans and the dice. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're quite as effective or maybe um, as innovative as things in that first movie. But I still appreciate them just being like, you know, let's do something that no one's really done before. Well, the dice was, I will say, was a little distracting because Swan kept yelling out Yahtzee every time. (laughs) 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 It's not untrue. I think for me, I kept being like, wait, how many dice are there? How many sides are on a dice? How many possible... Le- like, I did what, that too, yeah. Like, what, well, what if they want to say like like a letter with two T's? Does, yeah, anyway, <laughs> I'm thinking yeah, about I'm it like, too much. Wait, hold on. I'm like, they, they cut too far. I'm like, wait, I didn't get to see what it was. <laughs> but isn't that why we end up with Our Lady of the Angles? And it's like, because they don't have enough E's, E's on the yeah, die or something. That is. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You think at that point you just have more dice? Honestly, just do a Scrabble box. Exactly. <laughs> He's like, like, who's here? I can't tell you. You don't have another E. <laughs> <laughs> more letters. <laughs> Need more letters. <sighs> Boy. Okay. So, yes, we, we are settling back into domestic life. Meanwhile, Renee is investigating mysterious piano playing. And, yes, she does discover that their infant daughter, Callie, has miraculously jumped out of her crib. <laughs> And when she confronts Josh, he basically gaslights her and says, you know what? We just got our son back. So you basically need to shut the fuck up because everything's fine. Which I was, you know, I I had to play catch up, you know, admittedly during this film because I it's been a long time since I saw the first one. And like you said, the prologue was like so fast. I was like, OK, wait, what? OK, OK, sure. Let me just kind of like hold all my questions and all will be explained in time, which it was. I'm sure I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But once we got to that place, I, I'd be like, um, you're your husband's treating you like shit. Like you, right. you shouldn't stand for this at all. And then, then, then yeah, the possession is there. And I, then I started to catch up. But and th- that is the thing though. And I agree with what, what we said earlier, you know, where it's, I, I kind of wish this, this, this tete-a-tete between the two of them was, took up more of this first half of the film, because I think that is the more interesting aspect of it until we get maybe a little bit too far into shining homage territory in the end. But mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's a waste of these two actors to like not really ha- use them much in the first half of this film. Right. This movie is weirdly overstuffed. Like, I think it likes all of its characters and it wants to give them a bunch of things to do. And in some ways, I'm appreciative. Like, I kind of like that we're not spending the entire movie just back in the house with this domestic couple. But so much of the movie is cross-cutting that you start to think, like, there are a couple times where I was just like, what is the point of this scene? Like, I get that we needed to touch base with where everyone is at, but also it's it's too much maybe just let some of this breathe for a moment yeah i think so too although i will say when i was thinking about you know he was like don't you know don't believe in them and they'll go away when i'm like mm-hmm. okay you're kind of right like you know like i can see myself saying these <laughs> things to one of my friends that's like freaked out in the house one night i'm like shut up there's no go you know what i mean like yeah. a little bit so i don't know anyway i actually do wonder what parker crane's like long con was because Mm -hmm. he does say later in the end you know oh mother wanted me to kill you but i said no so what he was just going to decompose yeah (laughs) you know again whatever it's it's the motivations are suspect in this movie yeah i don't know maybe it's gonna leave yeah that's true that's a good question no we were trying to talk this through too like it it would be jumping like really far to the end because like hi i was confused (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) you know is it is it like who's the bad guy here? And I, I guess yes. ultimately it's like it's Mother Mortis, right? Like that's what mm-hmm. I, that that was my 
my answer when the blank came like who is the ultimate the ultimately like the villain here and she was just manipulating her son to be like this kind of like cross-dresser was like you know it, that's the kind of the idea like confirm or no uh, no, so I I think you are right, but it was interesting because when when they're talking about oh we have to kill her we have to stop her, mm-hmm. I actually wasn't always clear if they were talking about the nope. mother or Parker him Same. her themselves. Yeah, but totally. that's kind of genius, right? I thought that was like clever and like savory, and I kind of enjoyed not knowing. Well, if it's supposed to be grounded, you know, grounded, then we should have known, right? <laughs> <laughs> it should have been a little more clear. But also, I don't. I don't know if that is the movie being smart or if that is the movie not having its shit kind of figured out because I was also confused by that. Like, do they even know that they're dealing with two different malignant entities? Because when they're saying she, are they just talking about the bride? Are they talking about the woman in white? And I do also feel like maybe we should pause the plot to talk a little bit about some pronoun issues. Like, do we want to refer to Parker as a he or a she well it would have helped if he it's all about the inflection if they had been like oh it's her or like oh her you'd be like oh okay you'd know which one they were talking about (laughs) (laughs) it's it's so here's the thing i think if we're talking about child parker it makes sense to call him him right because at that point he, he hasn't well he still identifies as parker on the drawing and that's what gets him in trouble so he's clearly still identifying personally as a boy but post attempted castration parker do we then think that parker identifies as a woman i don't think so because they said costume and he said he Mm. put the stuff on when he would kill people but not that he just walked around you know i I don't think he was like trying to be trans or anything that's from from an outsider's perspective and they might not have the insight to say oh this isn't a costume this is the way you know this is what i would prefer to wear and how i would want to present myself so i i don't know i think that that could potentially be problematic. Right. Cause it's coming from Carl, right? That's yeah. he's the one who's sort of, and you're just like, I'm sorry, Carl, what is your, um, what is your qualifications, your credentials there? <laughs> yeah. Um, Carl, it might be time to sit the fuck down and shut the fuck up. Thank you. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of feel like he's a victim of like, like a mental abuse and maybe as a child there was less you know he still had that sense of like self-identity as parker but as an adult he's just basically completely messed up and rewired to the point where you're like self-castrating and ultimately committing suicide okay so so here's the thing though and this is the million dollar question are we a little surprised that we are using a plot from sleepaway camp in a movie released in theaters in 2013 boy this oh, is like wow. Lee Winnell combing through the encyclopedia of horror and being like, oh, yeah, we're still doing the trans Vic villain thing, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a thing. It we're going to do it all the time, right? I it's mean, like it's unbelievable. So, yeah, it's just throughout history. It just repeats itself over and over in some weird form or another, you know? I don't. Okay, so here's the thing. It's very tired. It's very overdone, particularly in 2013. At that point, we had had like decades of it. <laughs> decades. <laughs> but also, I find it. Like you, Trace, you and I wrote an editorial about this on Bloody Disgusting. And at the time we said, we don't think there's any kind of malicious intent here. It's probably, yeah, doing a a soft reference to Sleepaway Camp in the same way that the end of the film is doing a soft reference to The Shining and other films like Poltergeist. Yeah. But 
I think it's really problematic when you just kind of dump a hot potato in the audience's lap and say, well, here, this is enough motivation. Like, this explains things, right? We're not actually going to unpack it. We're not going to let the character maybe speak for themselves or even spend a lot of time with them. So it just becomes this kind of like, yeah, hey, here's this familiar trope that we're doing. We just kind of pulled it out of thin air, but yeah, we don't care that it's problematic. We just did it. So I'm actually a little ashamed of myself that I haven't put this sleepaway camp connection together before, because not only are we doing this whole like, oh, like abusive uh, adult is trying to force a child into a different gender. It's also that the the the, the parent character, sleepaway camp, it's Aunt Martha, I think. And then here it's this woman in white. But it's also like both of these performances are so over the top, so campy in a movie that has these elements to it. But the performance of this mother seems like it's in another film entirely. Oh, boy. Yeah. I'm, I think we've already referred to her as a kind of drag queen campy character. But that's an interesting comparison because, I mean, we get a slight little bit of background on her. She says, you know, your husband left. So now I don't want to refer to you as Parker. I want I want you to identify as a girl. Your name is Marilyn. And you're like, okay, but she's ridiculous, right? <laughs> Completely ridiculous. Yes. I mean, this, but again, it's so funny because I love this. I actually love all of Basuti's moments. Um, are either one of y'all like gamers, by the way? Uh, Not like hardcore, but we've definitely both played games. Uh, If either one of y'all played the new like God of War games on the PS5, uh, she actually plays Freya in those games. But she's also the, uh, in another queer connection, she is the uh, cheating lesbian mama in Curse of Chucky. I mean, cheating lesbian mama is the only credit anyone would need at the end of a movie. (laughs) It needs to be the name of a movie. (laughs) Oh my god, I would watch that in a heartbeat. (laughs) (laughs) Streaming soon on Lifetime. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I, I I didn't read a lot of like controversy about this subplot back in 2013, but I also don't know if like. I don't know. Twitter was there at the time. No, it wasn't. It wasn't as much of a conversation, you know, like, yeah, I feel like it would be absolutely incinerated today. Yeah, I think it's just because it feels so tired. Right. And I'm sure there were a bunch of people who went to this, got blindsided and suddenly realized, oh, great. Now I've got to deal with this familiar storyline again. But Yeah, I mean, when I was doing research, I found one article that was taking the film to task, and it was from 2014. Yeah, I saw one. This might have been actually the same one, but it was on one of those like ones where it's like a blog, but they don't have their their names accredited to it. But right, it was a trans woman who was saying, you know, I, I love the first movie. I went to go see this, and when the credits rolled, I hid in my seat, hoping that no one would notice that I was a trans woman. Oh no! Because of the film I had just seen. <laughs> wow! Oh, fuck! That's so, horrible. And they got that's a kind of lived experience. Like I don't have that experience, obviously, but yeah, I can't imagine. Like yeah, if you're going to see a movie that you think is like, oh yeah, it's a sequel to one of my favorite movies, um, and then this happens. So, mm-hmm. I, I think there's a positive read to be made, much like in Sleepaway Camp, where it's like, hey, this is what happens when you force a gender that someone doesn't identify on them. But that's not what the takeaway is going to be for most people who watch this movie. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's someone's like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if the kill... You know what I mean? It, it mm-hmm. feels very like that. Like it, it's, it's twist. Or, or, yeah, or almost yeah. like it's like campy and the fact that it's it's so throwbacky, you know? It, it, it yeah. just seems kind of campy to me. Like, it's like, really? That Okay, sure. Well, it, like, further, just... it further demonizes something that's already, you know, people consider like distorted or, you know, 
twisted and it's it, already like at base. Right. So it's like now they're, you know, if you wear panties and you're a man, you're a killer. You're a <laughs> right. ma- you're a murderer, you know? That's hey, a- you don't know. Maybe the mom is actually a drag queen. We don't know that. No. So I mean, they put so much makeup on it, you don't know. It's a whole different film in that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they're playing us. <laughs> well, and that's something interesting, too, though, because what what I think a part of the reason this this whole Parker Crane thing, you know, gender dysphoria, whatever, came around, is because the, the, the bride in black in the first movie was also played by a man. And I loved it at the uh, Universal Horror Nights. Yeah. The, was... the character, this is so funny. So we, people, you know, don't typically know what we look like out of drag and we don't. <laughs> show that or anything so we were in the we went to universal horror nights we always go to all that stuff and we were in the the insidious two maze and we were going through it and the bride the bride and black character like kind of jumps out at you whatever and so she she jumps out and i could you know it's a it's a a guy in drag and he's like oh my god i love your show and i was like oh my (laughs) god <laughs> but I like that Leave they it had the it be, you know, that it was uh, a person in drag. I like that. A question for okay, so yeah, so because so many people don't know what you look like out of drag, do you ever like fuck with people when you're out in public? <laughs> no, I don't want it. I do not want them to know. I don't like it. It really freaks me out. Like, yeah, I'm like in our regular life, I'm very just more quiet and sort of i like to be to myself and just i Mm -hmm. don't like that that part of the job yeah well it's like your your stage character right like you assume a completely different persona you become the character when you're in drag and then when you're not in that then you're just living your your authentic regular human life right yeah and you know some uh, i noticed like uh with other drag artists i know that are kind of like big personalities when they're in drag but they're like that out of drag they just take off the wig and it's like they're they're loud and they're you know tell jokes and all that and i'm not like that at all like it's like it is a total transformation and i'm like my it's not just my body that's in drag it's kind of my mind too and i so it freaks me out (laughs) it's not your body that's in drag no i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) yeah but people will sometimes people will will notice our voices yes Um, we get that happens a lot yeah like i remember one of the first times it had happened we were shopping in a we were downtown in downtown la very random and like from the next aisle over it was like Oh my God! I think I recognize those voices, oh. and, and the, the hairs on the back of my neck went up. Yeah, they're like it's either Drac and Swan or it could be Lin Shay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a little weird, but but for anyway. y'all, you're like, who the fuck is on the other side of this aisle? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I like people too. I I feel like it's like a fantasy, and I'm like, for me at least, not to kind of go into it too much, but I remember you know when i was sort of first going out to drag shows or queer clubs or whatever and i, I loved like the drag characters they were so like powerful and interesting and and i remember there was this one and i'm not going to say who it was but they had like such a really cool punk attitude and look mm. and everything and then social media came around it right and this, so then all of a sudden they would start getting on their drag account out of drag oh. in like the grocery store and stuff and i was like <gasps> Oh my god! And they'd be like complaining <laughs> about the price of bread and stuff, and I was like, "Oh my god!" So There's that like is punk rock. About you're ruining everything. Oh, think you ruin everything. And I'm like, I will never do that to anybody that likes my drag. I'm like, I'm just not gonna do that. Like, I'm like, buy the fantasy, sell it, hook, line, and sinker. I never want to like disturb that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, I could. It was bad. Anyway. <laughs> 
All right, I'm going to steer us gently back to the plot. Um, we are up to the 1986 tape watching. So yes, we are reintroduced to Specs, who was played by screenwriter and filmmaker Lee Whannell, as well as Tucker, who is played by Angus Sampson. And we see on this tape that uh, Josh is talking to someone, and they take note of it because it seems a little bit weird, so... Put a pin in it. We'll come back to that. I, I will say, though, and we will come, in, come back to it. But this is actually one of my favorite additions that this film does. I think this is great. The time travel? The time stuff. I think it's really fun. I'm a huge fan of it, though. I love it, too. Like, I thought it was, like, one of the most successful things that this script mm-hmm. got right, you know? Because they tried a lot. But this one, I think they got right. I, I will. I mean, like, seeing this in theaters, the moment when you're like, oh, my God, that's the scene from the first movie. Like, the, mm-hmm. the collective, like, <gasps> from the audience. <laughs> It's funny, too, because you realize when you go back and watch that first Insidious, they don't answer. Like, who was at the door? How did it get, like, blown open? Or Mm -hmm. who was knocking? And it's like, oh... I don't think that they had the second film really planned out. No. But they clearly did have a couple of Easter eggs that they maybe anticipated paying off later. I I disagree. I think this is a let's look at the first movie. What's something we can manipulate with a time travel sequence? That part. I'm like, now we know what they were doing for a year because we, you know, you said earlier, (laughs) they're they're trying to figure these pieces out. I mean, look, and look, truthfully, is there a bit of a plot hole here? Because, okay, like time doesn't exist. So technically, then anyone who has ever existed. Mm-hmm. be it present past or future would be in the further technically well except at least makes it seem like it's a purgatory kind of transition yes she yeah does. so like oh, you okay, could okay, leave okay. it everybody passes through here that's what she said but she like said that. she left and then came back yeah this like, is also true she's mm-hmm. got like a visitor's pass <laughs> <laughs> It kind of seemed like she was cruising through like a red light and then she was like, mm, maybe I'll just pull a Yui for a minute. She was like, I was in a place, a much better place. I'm like, and you came back? You came I'm back like, to this? <laughs> what are you, Buffy season six? Get out of here. I, I don't love anyone enough to leave whatever like paradise afterlife there was to go back to the further i'm sorry she's not even related to them it's not like i came back from my family she's like i came back for some family that basically got me killed well don't forget then at the end she stays she doesn't even go back i'm like what you're crazy (laughs) it honestly feels like they wanted i mean i know she gets her own movie spinoff but i could totally see them being like lynn shay paranormal investigator coming to sci-fi in the fall i mean that 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 is what three and four is. You're right. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but they're prequels because she's alive there. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. So Lorraine goes in to check on Dalton in his sleep. And he is definitely asleep, but he's having a conversation with her. And he says that there's someone standing behind her. And it properly freaks her out, which I appreciate. Because often in movies, people are like, shh, dumb, dumb, you're fine. Nothing's <laughs> happening. So I like that she, you know in this long take goes down the stairs she's checking around the house she goes into the bathroom and this is when she spots the woman in white who yes as we said is played by danielle basuti and uh then she's startled by josh Ooh, in case you didn't make the connection they're basically the same person um and he once again is gaslighting all of the female members of his family so he says uh just don't fucking say anything because i don't want to scare my family I will say that I appreciate, I love 
uh, Juan and cinematographer. Uh, and John R. Leonetti's camera work here. Oh, God, Leonetti? Shit. Editor, in case y'all didn't know, editor John R. Leonetti did go on. Well, I'm sorry. He used to direct films. He directed mm-hmm. the classic sequel, 1997's Mortal Kombat Annihilation. <gasps> Holy oh, shit. <laughs> Famously torpedoed by the studio. And he also went on to direct, uh, the year after this movie, the original Annabelle. Oh. oh. That's unfortunate. I like this these long takes following her around. Um, oh, sure. They're a little derivative of the first film, which is fine. I actually think my issue here is that we have this scene, and then I think in about five minutes, we have the exact same scene, but with Renee instead of Lorraine. Yeah. There's something interesting in the background here about the, the idea that a you know this this female spirit i guess if there's a if spirits can be gendered you know the spirit Mm -hmm. uh, is acting in the physical world through the skin of a man and gaslighting all other female you know females it's kind of interesting but that's another part that makes it a little bit confusing like when we get to the end it's very visually obvious that we are playing with that like gender is very much a construct because it appears as though parker is operating josh's body but we see Ali's smacking Michelle, aka the woman in white, and it seems to be having an effect on Josh's body in the sort of human realm. And I was just like, what are the logistics of this world? Like, are we double possessing? Is this like a double possessive penetration? What is going on? So we also know what they were doing during that year because they were like on either like a lot of mushrooms. We were doing, we were smoking something because they were like, Who's how, how, right how deep? <laughs> yeah. Which way do we go? Uh, do we go we possess forward, backward, or double back? What do you think? But that's also kind of the thing, though. Right? Where I, I, we're talking about. I, I, I would have liked to have known more about Michelle because. I, Parker, we know, has killed at least 15 people. And I, I do have questions yep. about how there is this this cross-dressing killer. Call, the, the newspapers have called the Bride in Black that has killed 15-plus people in this town. And mm-hmm. no one seems to know about it. <laughs> or, or, not only that, even after they're dead and gone, no one looks in the house. They're just like, well, let's right. just lock the door and yes! leave it there. <laughs> I was going to move that trap door bookcase and just find 15 women's bodies covered in sheets. Yeah, you wouldn't smell it and think, well, there's 15 bodies missing. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. think to look there where it smells like, you know, like, I don't know. But also (laughs) talking about, you know, oh, look, the transgender, the cross-dressing, like killer trope. It... I couldn't really figure out because it seems to be, okay, he's killing people for his mother. So his mother's making him kill these people. I don't really know why. No. But then sometimes it seems like he's killing just for the hell of it. Yes, and then I thought for a minute, because mm. wasn't it her, the woman, and what wasn't it the mom that had the saw in a flashback? Like, are we a hundred percent sure that he? Yes, killed I think them you're all? right. I, oh. Yeah, oh, but she did have the saw. Yeah, what? What did they? Maybe he brought them. There? That's interesting because know. we hear that he tried to castrate himself not from him or from his medical records. It's the nurse who says it, right? Yes. Mm. So. Huh. this is going back to the whole i don't think it's there's, there's no malicious intent here it's just more underthought than anything else yes yeah. it, it's very sort of poorly executed kind of haphazard oh well this will satisfy it's an explanation of sorts but we're not gonna do anything with it yeah it's yeah. like cheaply like and quickly explained mm-hmm. i think a lot is but i think we're workshopping this thing pretty good right now because right? i think <laughs> we figured it out i think she could have could she have possessed her own son for a minute and tried to go for the castration yes. 
I think you're right. I think that makes total sense. Which is a way grimmer read of this movie. It's like this guy, this person is not just killing people because they have internalized the struggle that their mother put on them, but maybe the mother actually force them to self-castrate like that is some grim ass shit well yeah and if you take it further than he further uh he mm-hmm. kill he kills himself and then he tries to possess a new body he wants his body back he wants his child he's always wanted his childhood back and mm-hmm. he's being taunted by his mother you, you have to keep kill you you have to keep killing do you want that body to disappear do you want that body to deteriorate kill them all kill them all like it's like really demented okay wait i i this is a completely different movie but i have a fix for this so what if the mom is like trying to live forever and so she's going to skeleton key her son by like getting rid of him and taking over his body which is why she's trying to raise him as a girl <laughs> oh wow <laughs> Well, you know, in, in these movies, typically when the mom is, like, behind it, the mom is either really dead or the mom mm-hmm. is, like, a granny. They can't kill anybody or whatever. But, like, this mom seems pretty powerful. You know what She's I mean? She's agile as fuck. Yeah, so <laughs> that's what makes it seem like who's the killer or who's the – because it almost seems like, you know, you know, she doesn't seem to need anybody. She's, like, flipping people around and throwing them <laughs> against the wall and stuff. So I'm like, why do you even need this guy to kill people And, for and she's serving Which... face and she's beat to the gods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It honestly feels like, okay, the the Bride in Black was an interesting character. We want to do something with her in the second film. But then we give the character this backstory. It should have just been, you know what? We're not doing the Bride in Black anymore. We're doing the woman in white. She yeah. doesn't have a kid. She's the killer. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Or yeah. just make her be the the Bride in Black, you know, or something like sure. that. Sure. Something. Yeah. Well. I mean, we see a shroud. It's like it's a costume. You just put it on and you start killing. Yeah. I mean, I will say, like, when he's in, in the drag, like, it is mm-hmm. it's scary. I kind of love it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We get it whenever he's strangling Renee and we, like, cut and it's like, oh, it's all of a sudden the bride in black instead of Patrick Wilson. Those are really, really effective shots. True San Francisco yeah. realness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So in the morning, Dalton recounts his dream. The The film loves to kind of double back and show us things from different perspectives. So we end up seeing his dream again, but this time we can actually see the woman in white watching Lorraine as she checks on him in his sleep. And he admits that he also then woke up and overheard and also saw Josh fully having a conversation with no one in the hall. Yeah, yeah, I... Mm. I won't talk about all the ways I want to fix this film anymore, but I, I would have had this more like, like they're suspicious of him like way mm-hmm. earlier in the film. Right, because they seem like a bunch of dum-dums from not <laughs> catching on. <laughs> like, Josh, you seem to be acting like a completely different person who is maybe coming undone mentally. Let's pass the cereal and get off to work like a normal day. <laughs> I guess the thing I give it is like what you mentioned is that all this crazy stuff just happened to them and they're probably right. individually trying to put themselves back together to a degree, right? True. So even though like, why are you acting weird? They're like, Oh yeah, I know why. You were just in some weird, like upside right. down dimension, you know? Yeah. I don't know. If this movie was made in twenty eighteen, this would all just be a metaphor for the trauma. Oh god. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes, it would. Wow. <laughs> but but that's also a reason why I think this movie does work better if you double feature it with the first movie. I think it works less so um if you just watch it by itself. 
Right. It truly is. I think in our editorial, you said that this was basically the fourth act stretched to a feature length. Yep, that's exactly what it is. Okay, so uh, Specs and Tucker play the 1986 video for Lorraine, and we can see adult Josh in the fucking background, and it's a great reveal. Like, it's such a fun kind of moment for this movie. I think it's too, because, like, you know, when it happens, he's like, oh, I'll show you. And you're like, oh, he's just responding to his mother. Um, mm-hmm. that, I think that's, yeah, that's all really cleverly revealed. I think so, too. I, that, that's one of the things I really liked about the referencing. In, in a sense of a sequel, it really paid respect to the first the first one, where a lot of sequels are just random, you know? Yeah, this this definitely feels like it... Like, you could almost imagine that cold open and this videotape that we then watch a couple of times throughout the film. If you didn't know better, you might mistake it and think, oh, yeah, we saw that in the first film, didn't we? Because it mm. feels so organic. Yeah, I agree. Um, Not organic is when Sendel calls and says, like, hey, your husband's not a murderer. Goodbye. I'm not in this movie anymore. <laughs> so whatever. <laughs> but you know what? Thank heaven for that he's no more cops in this movie absolutely help me understand something because i'm i'm dense sometimes i miss something so who choked her i mean it was patrick wilson was it not so why would it not show up as him because the idea is that his fingerprints have become parker crane's fingerprints so that's dumb that is dumb (laughs) this is not the first movie i've seen do something like this though it's true um, but, but there's a very specific movie recently. I can't, you know, I can't figure it out. But, but that, yeah, that's the whole idea. But at the same time, then I'm surprised we don't have a. Yeah, it wasn't your husband's fingerprints. It was Parker Crane, notorious killer of 15 oh, yeah. women. Yeah. <laughs> He's not in the database or anything. <laughs> Wait, well, they never found the body, this so maybe true. his fingerprints weren't. You know. Yeah, how do they... I'm not even going to get it. Well, but but he was in the hospital. (laughs) I guess they didn't know... Oh, they didn't know he was a murderer when he was... Okay, because they... He was just an elderly, senile man who tried to cut off his own penis. Okay, wait, wait, wait. So, so, but now what you are telling me is that this killer went presumably uncaught. No one ever Mm -hmm. found out who the bride in black was. Right. right. Cold case. No bodies either. These people still don't know about they have to they have to fucking read newspaper clippings to remember who this man is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well that's not like how do they know the bride and black killed all these people when they didn't find the bodies? Like how do they you know, it's like you right. would just say there was like a missing a large case of missing people. Well, but my th- issue too was like the like what type of embalming skills does he have or Dude, something? Because oh the pres- the level of preservation, <laughs> I was like, are we supposed to seriously accept this? That's when they go to their house, I fully expected it to be a funeral home. Or like, like yeah. yeah, yeah. But but like, yeah, there are still skin on the bones of these corpses. <laughs> <laughs> because after all this time, those bodies would not smell. They would be practically skeletal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. But you know what? It's it looks good though. I, it it, looks one thing, it I does just, look good. It was scary. Yeah. James Wan created a lot of beautiful, like kind of like visuals, and, and I, mm-hmm. I I I loved a lot of the camera work and like through the walls and mm-hmm. like these these zooms and whatever the whatever that effect is that you'll see and you know seemingly only horror movies at like high intensity moments where something really interesting happens in the background and the dis- the distortion you know what i'm talking about yeah. like a spatial what is that do, do we know what that's called um so it, uh, 
I, I don't know what it's called, but I, I know I know the visual you're talking about. <laughs> I love it so much. It's like so effective. And, you know, all the loud noises and just these, you know, the bodies and the shrouds and just disappearing into darkness, like you mm-hmm. know, into almost infinity. It's it's really well, effective. Well, and that's why, again, with the first film, like a lot of people like they're like, oh, I love that movie until the, third until the further when they get yeah. to the further. And I was like, because I get it. You know, it looks like they're on a stage with a fog machine, but. Honestly, that's what I like about it. Like, it, yeah. this is a very unique depiction of a purgatory afterlife space. And mm-hmm. while it may look cheap to some, I actually thought it was really innovative. I mean, here's the thing. It was fucking cheap. It was $1 million. Good for her. I'm saying, Well, that's why I said, I said they had good people working on, on it because, you know, I think it was shot beautifully mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. couldn't you didn't watch it and say well this is a cheap movie you know yeah. no and absolutely yeah not. so it's like they put their money in the right places agreed mm-hmm. and didn't make it overly ambitious where you're like well i'm kind of gonna i'm just gonna go for it and you know not yeah. execute it yeah yeah so i'm curious then after all the the conversation we've had about you know the way it's shot and it's so beautiful and you know we really appreciate lorraine's walk through the house as a single take and stuff do we like it when we just repeat the same effect with Renee here as she kind of goes up the stairs, down the stairs, and things are kind of being thrown at her? Like, does it still work as well, or does it need to be more moody and red lighty and that kind of stuff? I mean, I, I think that would have helped. I, they turned up the intensity, you know, because the stuff was, it was seemed more violent. So I guess they were trying to maybe show that it was getting worse or something i don't know but i hey a red light never hurts anything right? True. <laughs> i mean i do like this moment where michelle aka the woman in white just randomly smacks the absolute shit out of renee to the point that she is knocked unconscious in the living room and then you see later that that's her cooldown power because she does it to her kid. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's her move. If if, if 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 Renee had just happened to be holding a wire hanger before she got slapped, I I would have been fine with it. <laughs> I told you no more, Parker. Don't you dare! <laughs> All we're saying is that the woman in white is an iconic drag figure and someone should be doing her on Snatch Game or maybe a Dragula channel? Well, I was Apparently say, I'm doing it and didn't realize it, so... I mean, if, if you have another Horror Icons Reimagined yeah. Challenge, there oh. you go. God, there's oh. so many good ones that they could have picked. That was like, why? You're like, I would you? not pick this weak as shit version. Oh my god, it's true. When you think of the challenges, you never know, you know, what they're going to pick. And I, you have all these glorious ideas of what they're going to do, and I'm like, Really? Mm-hmm. That's what she did. This is what okay. she came up with, huh? But okay. you know what? I, I will say though, I, I took issue with Joe Bob when he said, "I don't know if Eva's Martian from Mars Attacks is a horror icon." And I was like, "Girl, you didn't grow up in the nineties." I know. I was like, "You're dead. Just keep talking." <laughs> that is disgusting. Oh. <laughs> We're spilling all the tea here. Okay, so uh, Specs and Lorraine ask adult Carl, because this is a character who's still in this movie for some reason. He is played now by Stephen Coulter, and basically they need his help to contact Elise, because Lorraine says, you know, if only we had Elise, we could figure out what the fuck is going on. So he shows up with his spirit dice, and we're talking with Elise, 
aka definitely not Elise because she's being super weird and kind of vaguely threatening. But we end up getting directed to Our Lady of the Angels. And we will spend a good 20 minutes going through this abandoned hospital. Although it was a shot at a real abandoned hospital in Los Angeles. Oh, really? Yes. It's nicely atmospheric. I appreciate these scenes, even though I'm. it's basically just a big, long microfiche exposition. This is Linda Vista Community Hospital, by the way. I think oh. I bet you I know right where that is. Where do you think it's that one down? It's not the one downtown, is it? It's in Boyle Heights. In Boyle Heights. Oh yeah. my god! That's, yeah, and it, it is so imposing, like right over the highway. Like you see it, that building has like an aura about it. Because they filmed a bunch of other things in that same area, like in that abandoned hospital. Like, did they do Session Nine or something well, in there we've too? Lived in Los Angeles for a long time, and I have been into certain wings of that place before it actually shut down, and it was terrifying. Uh, no, thank you. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I have to go down this list. It's not very long. A Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The show was uh, filmed some stuff there. <gasps> oh, that terrible episode where she's in the mental institution. I believe so. But uh, hold on. Adam's Family Values, where the puberty is given birth to. That's this hospital. Oh, nice. Tammy and the T Rex. <gasps> <Yes. laughs> oh, wow. You got uh, me there. Dead Girl. Mm. I know, guys. I, if y'all haven't seen Dead Girl, um, do, but just be prepared. Um, all the warnings. All the warnings. Zombie Strippers, starring Jenna Jameson. Well, of course. Uh, and then, yeah, Insidious 2 and 3. Oh, and Lords of Salem was filmed there. Oh, oh interesting. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Hmm. It is very scary, but I wanna I don't know if this bothers you all, but when 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 you watch movies and they always have to go on some kind of like you said, Scooby Doo caper, yeah. mm-hmm. I'm like, there ain't files left in the building. You know? Confidential records around. So crazy. I'm like, nobody would leave medical records around, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, know. we just all abandon the hospital at the spur of a moment, you know, leave all the files. Nobody will come back for them. And if they did, like, they're first of all, okay, they're all print. Okay, sure. But then, <laughs> then there, it's like, I have, I'm like, why don't you show us the sun up and sound down it took you to find that file? Because, right. like, the chances that they're just left perfectly intact, no one broke in here, did anything with it. I don't know, it drives mm-hmm. me insane. <laughs> they're all perfectly alphabetized still, <laughs> right on the shelf. <laughs> like, you just locked the front door and no one bothered to come in. Not yeah. downtown Los Angeles. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there aren't people living in that hospital currently. Rent they control. Burned sure. all the records for heat. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so all this to say, yes, we we do look through the hospital. We get a flashback to Lorraine and young Josh as he gets attacked by Parker Crane, who is played by Tom Fitzpatrick. This scare got me, though. I'm a sucker. One of my favorite kind of scares is when the camera, it, it's still a single take, but the camera's like moving with the person as they're moving. So, you know, Josh bends down and looks away and then he mm-hmm. comes up and the camera comes up with him and boom, we have this jump scare that I fucking love when he's sitting right up. <laughs> okay, so yes, this is also where we learn that uh, Parker was, he, he died shortly after this attack, but also that he did try to castrate himself. It's one of the reasons he was in the hospital. Uh, at this point, the film is going to cross cut between A the lot. four doing their investigation and then what's going on within the household. So we jump back to the house and I'm going to call him Possessed Josh to keep it distinct. So Possessed Josh has his teeth falling out, and we do hear the woman in White's voice saying, you know, hey, you're polluting this body, you're killing the living skin, and also, kill the whole fucking family or else you're going to die. Which, that's not true, right? 
I mean, he definitely looks sicker as the movie progresses, but I don't know how killing the family does anything to help that. That's what I'm saying. I think he's going to just de- de- decompose no matter what. I don't think killing people is going to stop his decomposition. Yeah, I mean, he clearly is with the teeth falling out and all that. But yeah, I don't know. Unless there's something they didn't explain. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, there are <laughs> some pretty gaping plot holes in this movie. So it's possible this was an earlier draft that just never got explained. Yeah, because, you know, I wonder too, and not to go back, you know, back step, but the, the so how, so he kills himself. Mm-hmm. Is the mom still alive? We don't know. No, you know what I mean? Know. Like, what you know that that time period because it's almost like she could have died and then maybe she was kind of possessing him a little bit that could have used a little more clarity is she hitching a ride on him or something what's going on it's interesting that you mentioned the plot holes though because this movie does have a tendency to over or re-explain or over-explain things yes but not everything it's like it's it's hitting the same marks repeatedly but then there's whole other sections that just get passed over completely yeah I'm even thinking, I mean, like the, the reveal we're about to get, you know, when we're rolling the dice and it's like, uh, uh, oh, Mother Mortis, Mother mm-hmm. of Death. It's literal. The mother of Parker Cram. I'm like, girl, we get it. Wait. <laughs> and also, how did you make that jump? Like, it could have just been some other spirit. We've dealt with a bunch in this universe. I don't know. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, so Josh ends up reassuring Renee when she finally wakes up for her from her slap coma that uh, everybody's fine. Just ignore the dead things because you're giving them power. So he's still gaslighting her. It's very entertaining. <laughs> he also then fails to recognize the song that she wrote for him in the first movie. Oh, my God. And she doesn't really react well enough to this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you'd think that she would be much more receptive. Like, I like that when Lorraine comes to collect her because she's like, oh, the problem is Josh. It's not the house. It's not Dalton. Lorraine just goes with her, which I was appreciative of. But yeah. at the same time, yeah, you'd be like, you're really not going to confront your husband when he forgets the original song you wrote for him? <laughs> yeah, Son we were talking. Bitch. I was like, I could, <laughs> I could have seen it almost being like, wait, or is it? the mother-in-law like if you were her mm-hmm. for a minute you could have been like wait but if the mother-in-law was actually behind all this which you would be more inclined to mistrust because you're in her house and this is where all these things right. are happening you know i thought about that for a minute i was like oh she kind of trusted her very easily yeah it's yeah. true thankfully look lorraine is a very sturdy character throughout these first two films like she is very straightforward i just want to help you can trust me <laughs> yeah So after looking over these medical records, our fearsome foursome investigators do head over to the abandoned crane house. This is when the film briefly turns into a found footage film. (laughs) Not really sure why, but it's kind of cool. Yeah. This is when they see the dollhouse in Parker's room. And we have this moment where Tucker says, oh, well, I played with dolls when I was a child. And I... I was like, is this the movie trying to throw us off the scent? Or are we just saying, hey, boys can play with girls' toys and it doesn't make them serial killers? I don't know if the movie's smart enough to make that kind of a statement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. I kind of, I honestly did think that for a minute, though. Like, maybe they're trying to just, you know, hey, that's not what we're trying to, yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Please don't hate us. This isn't a problematic thing, we swear. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's what I kind of thought. <laughs> <laughs> but this is our first glimpse of this girl ghost, or 
boy ghost in drag so the character is played by tyler james griffin and this character warns them that they will be killed if she discovers that you're here and i'm using air quotes scare quotes for she aka mommy so okay um i get this moment where dalton is terrorized by ghosts in a nightmare it's fine it's effective a lot of these though do remind me of scenes in the conjuring like uh right. whenever in the beginning when elise reaches in the closet and like gets scratched i'm like oh it's kind of like the wardrobe scene in the conjuring mm-hmm. <laughs> yep this is when we get the reveal via the dice that we are dealing with yes the mother of death or parker crane's mother michelle this is where we find the corpse room again it's good stuff it's just it's kind of oh okay and then we move on. Yeah. So when Craig touches the bride's shroud, this is when we get a flashback. So apparently he, I don't know. Do we know that Carl is a psychic? Because when he touches the shroud, he gets this flashback, which is what allows him to say, oh, yeah, like she she wanted her son to identify as a different gender. But like, did we know that Carl had these abilities? Is that why he's partnered with uh, Elise? I didn't see it referenced anywhere. I don't think it was referenced before this, right? It, no, it, it happens when they're in the hospital. He walked into the room, and I think he... Didn't he get overwhelmed with some energy or some flashback from what had happened uh, in it okay. previously? Maybe they're trying to build him up because they're like, hey, maybe people are going to like him, and we're going to have to make it Sidious 3. <laughs> well, well but th- 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 that's the thing, though, right? Like, this character only exists because we don't have a lease yet in the movie. And I actually, I mean, look, it's fine. I, I think Carl is a fine character. I actually think he's kind of mm-hmm. funny. I like his little dice gimmick. But um, it's more the fact that he's introduced in this film. And there's a moment when he gets attacked by possessed Josh. And he seemingly dies, which is what allows him to get to the further. And then we walk it back so that no one dies in this movie. And I was like, didn't we introduce Carl to kill him? I thought that was the point. Yeah, I, I thought that that was confused about that at the end because because he was like, oh, well, if I'm here, we know what that means. And they're all like, yeah, mm-hmm. and, you know, and Josh is like, well, I'm still alive. I mean, sorry, but like, help me get back. I need to help my kid. And they're like, OK. And then, yeah, I was really confused by that. I was like, why did they undo that? Well, because at the very end, Elise is like, no, no, I felt your heartbeat when I hugged you. And I was like, and you waited this long to tell him that? <laughs> you know what? We had things to do. We needed to rescue Josh. Josh was really more important here sorry carl like love you to bits but honestly not your movie mm. yeah because i feel like she was like well you're not supposed to be here whatever for you though but like you're really not supposed to be here josh let's help you and he's like what really but I'm just saying, like she knows from the first hug that carl is alive and goes yeah. through the entire third act of this movie <laughs> yeah. with him thinking he is dead because <laughs> there's like weird romantic tension between the two of them as well like it kind of feels like there could be another film and i'm fully confessing i have not seen insidious three or four at this point so i don't know if this character shows up in the prequels and they do have romance you i i sense that too i thought they were definitely building that because it it feels like we should really care when bad things happen to carl like we're we're up to the moment where he tries to pull the con on possessed josh so that he can inject him with the serum to knock him out and then specs and tucker are gonna like help him but I really like this scene because it feels like there is genuine danger that like, oh shit, Carl's about to get fucking murdered. I thought that too. I thought I definitely felt like anxious during that moment. I was like, okay, this is a horror movie and they're going to, they're going to definitely do something brutal to this guy. I was kind of surprised that he, you know, 
ends up making it out. We talked about this earlier too. Like Patrick Wilson is genuinely like so foreboding. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, this is really effective. Like I'm kind of scared. And like, also he's a little hot. Like I'm kind of oh, yeah. into mm-hmm. this. <laughs> I'm telling you that, that that scene when he has the knife behind his back and he's just smiling. I'm like, Ooh man, yeah. dude, like this Sad is me daddy. Good. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So Carl does end up waking up in the further. He immediately meets real Josh. And as a result, they go on their journey to try to figure out what the fuck is going on. This is where time starts to get messy. So we see the outside of the house from the first movie right because we're not in this house again no no yeah it's it's their original house that we thought was possessed so josh in the further goes and bangs on the door and that's when if you have not seen the original insidious in a while you're like wait what is happening because why are josh and renee suddenly just in bed like Renee isn't mm-hmm. freaked out that her husband forgot the original song she wrote. Like, what's going on? But this is when, though, that, that collective moment where the audience realizes, this is the first movie! Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so we get these scenes. I'm curious, do you folks think that they just refilm these, or did they just shoot new footage and insert it into the first film? I thought it was footage from the first film yeah. or maybe cut yeah i thought so i don't think it was reshot but yeah this is the big reveal <laughs> wait, that like wait, wait. brother josh was involved in that sequence in the first film ah. so wait then it is kind of like silent night deadly night part two <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. just a couple moments it's not 30 minutes <laughs> i don't know i liked i really liked the way that they tied it back in yeah. to the first mm-hmm. one yeah i loved it i thought it was like, so clever yeah I, I think this is the, the most clever thing the movie does and again i know i'm like shitting on this movie a lot this is still a three out of five movie for me i like this movie i just have sure. a lot of problems just say it. you hate it just I say don't. it <laughs> let it be known i said i liked it you said you hated it <laughs> yeah, like in 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 the rankings of like worst horror films ever made it's silent night deadly night two and then insidious Chapter two. that's <laughs> yeah. what we figured out so josh in the further ends up getting attacked by parker crane and he is saved by the one and only elise she's got this kind of light lantern that apparently scares parker (laughs) crane away through a window okay i love so i i one my favorite thing about the insidious film is actually um joseph bashara's score i love the use of strings here but i love (laughs) when elise shows up and like is like go to hell or whatever the hell she says we we get this like really swelling of like cheesy hero music mm-hmm. <laughs> i thought that was she's really the funny. fucking savior in this movie it's amazing it's just so silly <laughs> yeah I, I, maybe that's because what, what it was signaling it, it gives me a signal of like something from like the hobbit or like dungeons yeah. and dragons yes. or something like she shows up and banishes the undead with her holy symbol <laughs> like they throw them out the window <laughs> Well, she has, she does have that lantern, but don't forget she has that deadly crib as an offhand weapon. Oh my god. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So she ends up basically dumping this mound of exposition about how we can get out of this situation. So apparently Josh has to distract Michelle Crane so that uh, he can take possession of his body back. But in order to distract her, he has to find her house. And it's like, cool. We're just going to pretend that that makes sense or, you know, we're not going to question how you figured any of that out. But yes, okay, so that's what we're going to do. So further, Josh ends up asking his younger self from the 1986 videotape. And this is why young Josh 
pointed randomly. Also, in case you didn't get it, Lin Shay's like, so that's what that was about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> For the dumb audience members, or maybe someone who had to go pee, this is what you missed. Let me explain it to you. The mom lives downstairs. She's been a roommate the whole time. She's in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> and that's an example of like the over-explaining with some things, but then choosing oh, sure. to completely... Yeah. you know not address others just yeah straight <laughs> and, and again that's something the first movie does but because all of the things it's like over explaining are like brand new concepts it works right. for me there whereas but this movie like y'all we, we're we already know we're, we're we're in the we're in play here yeah like we're already in the further which means we're into the last act of this movie the creators probably read the reddit and were like god they are seriously didn't get that this time we're gonna really go into it and explain it like they are five yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we are still cross-cutting between now the further and the real world so possessed josh is attacking renee and lorraine we have this chase sequence around the house this is where we get the kettle <laughs> This is great. All of this, I think, is fucking great. I am living for these chases. Definitely tense. Definitely scary moments. And yeah. Yeah, it almost feels like a slasher movie, right? Like, Uh sub out Josh and put in Ghostface, and all of a sudden, we've got Rose Byrne as a final girl in a stab movie. Oh, totally. Yeah, Yeah, Mm -hmm. very easily. Until it's the point where, like, wait, Mom, I got this. I'm just going to go take a nap under the stairs over there. I'll be right back. (laughs) <laughs> okay, but, but but then it really is full on the shining though. We just replacing an axe with a fire extinguisher. Uh-huh. Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah I, you're there, I was like, wait, what does he do? You're like, he's going to sleep. I'm like, huh? <laughs> how? What are you talking about? He's Look. such a good napper. The sound doesn't bother him at all. He can just sleep anywhere. Like, dad's trying to break in and murder us. No, he's just going to take a quick five. Well, <laughs> survival always makes me tired. And when I'm tired, I like to just sleep under the stairs. <laughs> well, but, but, okay, but again, that's the thing with the time for the movies. Oh, hey, this is like the next day or a day, to, a day or two later. He's sure. become an expert astral, astral projector <laughs> in his time <laughs> since the first movie. <laughs> he knows what he needs to do. He's got this this telephone can mom's going to keep him grounded and off he goes into the further he's going to rescue dad no complications seemingly it's kind of bizarre hey eh? that's yeah. fine yeah so um i i do like the moment where we see josh moving through the further and he gets to interact with the victims of parker crane I'm surprised that there isn't really a scare here, though. Like, I kept waiting for Mother to show up, and she never does. Well, she does eventually when he pulls off a sheet, but, like, just not here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Um, It's it's a memorable sequence. It just, it didn't have a a kind of stinger or a scare moment like I thought it was going to. that's kind of the thing, though, because this is, again, we're redoing the end of the first movie with Patrick Wilson going around the further. But, yeah, when he was interacting with him in that first movie, it's like, oh, like, he's looking at, like... A, a, a trio of pe- of ghosts sitting on the couch and then all of a mm-hmm. sudden they're standing behind him and they smile in the next frame and it's like yeah maybe they wanted to try to avoid repeating themselves even though the whole climax is kind <laughs> of a repeat of itself <laughs> repeat most of it but not the last two percent we we need to go for some originality yeah okay so anyway you know dalton ends up finding them in time so as possessed josh breaks down the door in the real world this is when elise begins beating the absolute shit out of michelle crane with a rocking chair 
and uh, apparently that casts her out. So Josh is back in his body in the real world just in time. And yeah, so everybody's kind of safe. Elise has saved the day in the further and the family is reunited. I do love that it takes two or three instances where Josh is like, no, Renee, it's actually me. I swear. I know I just tried to kill you, but it's actually really me now. Well, okay. One thing I want to ask you all, because I don't know if it was confusing to you. So Lin mm-hmm. Shay hits her with, you know, Elise hits her with the, the crib. Mm-hmm. Or it, a rocking chair, whatever. The rocking chair, Sorry, yeah. Whichever, it, it, yes. Banging her, hitting her like three times. And it, they... <laughs> You know, the way the shot is, it's like the drag queen falls out and it falls mm-hmm. into the, you know. Right. I thought that was confusing. It's absolutely because you you see that we are hitting the mother. We're hitting yeah. Michelle Crane. Huh. And that is having an impact on real world Josh, who we know is possessed. But then when Elise is like victorious in driving the entity out, we see it's the bride in black. So we're like, wait, so... Parker Crane was the one who was possessing Josh, but apparently beating the mother drives him out. Like, what? Yeah. I think that's the thing, though, is that we're, we're supposed to buy into the fact that Parker is so, like, tied to his mother mm-hmm. that defeating her does defeat Parker. Sure. But, yeah, but I guess it was the visual of her bringing the, the like, rocking horse right. down, and then, you know, Parker falls out, like, goes... I don't know. There's. I thought there was something weird about that. It was it's like, wait. really confusing. Like visually, it doesn't work. Yeah, because the mom falls down, and then he falls. It seems like he's falling out of her, not out of Josh. And you're like, wait, yes. what? And so I'm like, well, who was it the whole time? You know, it kind of leaves a little bit of doubt. Well, then that makes me backtrack what I said earlier. <laughs> I thought I created that really interesting idea of like how. Uh, the mother character was possessing Josh and directing him and kind of gaslighting all the other like real world women, right. Through, mm-hmm. through the man skin. But right. is it really kind of once removed where mom's got such a grip on her son, who right. She's forcing into like this new gender that he's doing the possession, but basically like a marionette for mom. Like she's really pulling all the strings and he does exactly what she says, exactly how she says it. So that effectively she's in control, but through him only. Which is very dead silence, actually. Oh, shit. Yeah. They're actually, uh, uh, these movies actually do have a lot of holdover, at least stylistically speaking, of um, like the dead silence look and vibe. So, yeah, basically, um, you know, we have this hilarious comedic stinger where Tucker breaks in and he's going to save the day. Ha ha. The action's already over. And then we end the film with this Elise spinoff prequel setup where she's still kicking around. She's helping Specs and Tucker. And I mean, I think it's interesting that we're we're doing possession things with other characters. So we meet this character, Allison, who is played by Danae Rodriguez, that maybe set something up. I was just more like, hey, baby fucking Jenna, Jenna Ortega is yeah. something again. <laughs> I pointed at the television. That's Jenna Ortega. <laughs> I, I could not believe it. I for sure thought, you know, like, Joe, not every little girl with dark hair is Jenna Ortega. But no, lo and behold, it actually it is. Actually, yeah. it actually is. She gets everything. And I'm just, that's all I'm going to say. Well, because this, this, I, 
she looks exactly the same age as she does when she does you. But I was okay, like, no, 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 no. The timeline does not <laughs> no, add up at not. all. <laughs> no, because she would have started. She looks the same as she did in Jane the Virgin when she's playing little Jane. Uh, she's, hmm. She very much looks like the Jenna Ortega we know now in you. Sure. Okay. I mean, I I would argue she always looks exactly like herself, <laughs> slightly <laughs> older. But I, I will say so. So, Dragon's Dr- Have you all seen the third and fourth films in this franchise? Yes, yes, but I don't really remember much about them. I don't remember them now, but I do remember liking them, and I do remember that Lynn was definitely the star of them. Oh, for sure. I think it's always a thing for me where it's like so because three and four are prequels. This is the end of the continuity of this franchise until, of course, The Red Door comes out. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it this week? Is it this week that's coming out? Yeah. So I guess I always kind of like, oh, you're setting up this cool like idea of a spinoff with Ghost Elise helping human Tucker and Specs. Yes. And then we don't do anything with that. We just decided mm. to go into prequel land. Yeah. It's a cool idea. Untapped now, too. Yeah. I'm very curious to see how this new film continues the mythology or kind of has to disregard portions of it. I just really hope that we don't, like, wouldn't it be funny if we open this new movie and it's just, like, 15 minutes of previously on Insidious 1 and Insidious <laughs> Chapter 2? I bet you it will. I bet you that it will definitely re-reference it in the same way that this one did. They'll, they'll probably find some crafty ways to sort of weave it throughout, I bet. I hope so. So, okay, th- this is, because uh, I, I, I was re-watching the second one today and I, I was like, because I'm really excited for the new one because I'm excited to see Rose Byrne in a horror movie again. But she's clearly very sure. much not the focus of that sequel. No. It's, it's going to be this kid and his shitty hair. Okay, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> Rose Byrne shows up like three times in the trailer for Insidious the Red Door. Mm-hmm. Those are all three of her scenes. One of the... <laughs> but Okay, but one of the shots is like a zoom in of her on the ground screaming... It is literally the exact same shot from Insidious Chapter 2 when he's about to kill Dalton while he's sleeping. So I was like, okay, so two of the three shots of Renee, (laughs) of Roseburn in this trailer, one of them is just a lift from the second movie. (laughs) (laughs) It was so effective the first time we did it again. (laughs) <laughs> that's i bet you there'll be lots of like referencing the first two i'm excited to see it now it's cool yeah and now we're fresh like we're ready for it because yeah. we just rewatched them. and patrick wilson directed it so it's like we get to see his directorial debut wow oh, i didn't know that mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. interesting yeah i i now i kind of want to that's what i always do this is how we got <laughs> stuck watching silent night deadly night ah! five. i'm gonna want to watch the rest of them now to oh catch we will up. we'll, we'll yeah, power before we go do it. for sure Three has Dermot Mulroney in it, so you cannot go wrong there. You know what I'm getting? I, I just remember, I remember key fingers. I remember like an old man with like a a, a trench coat in like an attic or something. Is he? That's does he have a guys? No. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, what's that other one oh, with the ball? What's it called? Phantasm. Phantasm. Oh, yeah. Phantasm. Oh, I was like the changeling. Changeling. I, mean, I was like awesome. a man in a trench coat. No, that's just the porn you've been watching. <laughs> no, that's the flasher who lives next door. Right. Um, okay. Well, that is in city. Chapter two, Dragon Swan as the guest of honor. Any final thoughts on this film before we close out? Uh, my final thought is, I really like it. I do like it, it. It definitely has some uh, some. It doesn't explain a lot, but I, there's there's some imagery that I think is really startling. It definitely has scary moments, and I love the camp of it. So yeah, I'm I'm into it. I give it two claws up. Yeah, my thoughts <laughs> nice. are it um 
it I, I know it may not be as celebrated or as appreciated as the original, but as I was watching, I got reminded how much I liked it back when I first saw it, and it was a great rewatch. And mm-hmm. I think that the way that they do their title treatment, when the words Insidious oh, come yes. up, and that operatic, like, oh! I'm like, oh, I react to it every time. I'm like, that. oh, I just love it. So good. So yeah. drama. The high drama is too good. So good. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, again, I, I like this movie. I would like it more if it if I didn't love the first movie as much as I do. But yeah, I think it's the camp factor that I really appreciate in this. I, I appreciate how willing this movie is to just be ridiculous. But all... <sighs> It is grounded in a way. It's just not grounded like that first movie. <laughs> yeah. It's grounded in that relationship drama. Yeah. And it starts to kind of establish Lin Shay really as like she's yeah, going to stay, go. right? Which is cool. Yeah. If nothing else, it confirms that Lin Shay is a huge fucking draw. And we did her dirty by killing her off in the first film. So good on them for recognizing that. Agreed. I like this movie. I don't think it's as strong as that first film. But you know... It's often a case of slightly diminishing returns when you talk about a sequel compared to the original film. So it's not like this is new territory for horror fans. I think that this is doing some interesting things. I wish it was a touch more original. You know, obviously, the problematic aspect is not good. I'd love to say, well, it's 2013. We didn't know as well, (laughs) but... uh, Yeah. But overall, you know what? This is a really fun double bill. Like, if people just want to settle in for a good time... You can do a lot worse than Insidious and Insidious Chapter 2. Yeah, you could do uh, Insidious the Lusky. Rude. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That, that's a solid two and a half. That's a solid two and a half. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, before we announce what we're covering next week, uh, Drakenswan, first of all, thank you so much for uh, coming on to talk about this with us. Yes. But let everyone know what, what, what do you got coming up so we are working on the next season of the show so that's exciting and that will be coming out uh, later in the fall this year we're going to be going to uk to continue our titans tour yes we're the type of people that are still touring with the last season while filming the next yeah. season <laughs> there's, some, there's some really fun appearances at some um, horror conventions too like around the country oh yeah so we'll be yeah busy we, this summer we have uh we're actually doing midsummer screen scream and we're um erecting one of our sets on the main floor there oh, wow. and doing a lot of uh, meet and greets with the former winners of the show. We're gonna do a big panel there. That's gonna be exciting. And then uh, around Halloween this year, we're actually touring with our two-headed one woman show so it's just a blade brothers only halloween tour that we're doing oh, fun. Uh, in the u.s yeah and uh let me say thank you for having us because this was really fun this was like a a really i i enjoy just sitting down and kind of like at a knitting circle and talking over everything insidious too <laughs> it was a really good time <laughs> yes uh well yes the feeling is very mutual and we are excited to have y'all back at some point yes, yeah absolutely all right. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, everyone, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorQueers. Shoot us an email at HorrorQueers at gmail.com. Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. Uh, go to our YouTube channel to check out our interviews with various horror filmmakers and tune in once a month to hear about our most anticipated horror films for that month. If you want to chat with other listeners, please join our Facebook Horror Queers group. If you love us, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you would like to support the show, please go to Patreon.com 
slash horrorqueers and sign up. Uh, if you sign up now, uh, you'll get, God, two, almost 250 hours of extra content, Joe. Uh, mm-hmm. This month, as we've repeatedly said, uh, we are continuing our journey into the further with episodes on the whole Insidious franchise, plus uh, Patrick Wilson's sequel, The Insidious The Red Door. We are also double dipping in another franchise, uh, Bird Box, talking about Bird Box Barcelona. And we, of course, mm-hmm. have an audio commentary on the original Sandra Bullock film. Right. Uh, and then if you don't like franchises, uh, then we have also got an episode <laughs> on Marianne director Samuel Bowden's new film Cobweb, starring Lizzie Kaplan and Anthony Starr. Yeah. Yeah. Some good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, let everyone know, Joe, what are we covering next week? All right. Well, we have trashed him numerous times throughout this recording. <laughs> so apologies to Adam Robitel because we are covering his sequel next week when we touch base with escape room 2 tournament of champions heads up everyone in case you don't know there are two versions of this movie and they are very different versions of this movie we will be covering both of them yeah spoiler alert if you can get your hands on the extended edition it is the better version it is because it has uh what's her face orphan girl (laughs) isabel Furman. yeah that one (laughs) anyway okay well until next week everyone we can cross out insidious chapter two indeed and cross out horror queers 